0: This is Defenders TV Podcast Episode 80, where we are looking at Season 1, Episode 6 of Marvel Netflix, Luke Cage. Suckers need bodyguards.
1: You think I'm holding back?
0: Welcome back Defenders to episode 80 of Defenders TV podcast and we are looking at episode 6 of Luke Cage Suckers Need Bodyguards. Uh, I am one of your hosts, John. I'm another of your hosts, Derek, and I definitely need bodyguards in that in that area of Harlem. This is birthday boy Derek, by the way, everyone. He is well, he's he's reached his qu- uh his fourth decade oh. uh, on the planet. Oh God. Um and so, yeah, happy birthday, Derek.
1: Thank you very much.
0: I hope, uh, I hope all the candles fit on the cake.
1: No, we tried that. I think like you like after once you hit like thirty five, it's the cake starts wobbling, and you're like, aww. look, your cake doesn't even want to stand up anymore." It's
0: where the candles are provide more greenhouse gases than uh, <laughs> <laughs> than a coal fired power station. It's definitely when your family make that choice to that each each candle
2: represents five years or a decade. Then you how <laughs> old you're beginning to get. Yes, when we release this podcast, it will be 21st of October. It will be my birthday. Birthday. and uh thank Ooh. you very much for the really early birthday wishes because obviously we don't record on the day of release because we do have a little bit of editing to do uh before we release the podcast but uh yeah thank you very much i'm uh Kind of excited, I guess, to get to my 40th birthday.
0: Yeah, life begins at 40. Apparently. I've been saying that since
2: 40 is
1: the new 20. Yes.
0: Generation X.
1: X. 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 There you go.
2: There you go. And I know what I'm going to be doing on my birthday. I'm going to be watching Black Mirror on Netflix. I'm going to see Jack Reacher in the cinema. So that's my exciting day ahead of me. The first part
1: of that is really cool. The second part...
0: Hey, hey I, I I love Reacher, Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Um, and we are also joined, as always, by the third Musketeer.
1: Woohoo! Uh, yes. It is me. It is I, Chris. I apologize for my voice. I've had a very long week of talking and it has, this is the byproduct where I get that, that deep, deep kind of, uh, smelly cat Phoebe <laughs> friends reference where it's just that deep gravelly voice. We like it. Yeah. He's got yeah. that sexy gravelly voice. Yeah. Yeah. I'm telling you, I'm not playing this up. I wish I was. It's very impressive, uh, Chris.
2: I think you should, I think you should, uh, do that
1: every time on the podcast. I would but it actually hurts okay. strangely.
0: Okay. <laughs> Except when it goes
1: strangely.
0: Men and women fall weak at the knees by Chris's gravelly voice. <laughs> yes, Chris's gravelly voice. Yes, Anywho, uh, great to have you on board,
2: Chris. And great to be back. Okay, Absolutely.
0: Cool. And I suppose, with no further ado, it is just to remind our listeners, of course, that uh, you can find us on defenders.tvpodcast.com forward slash iTunes. You can search Defenders TV Podcast on any other good Android podcast catcher, and um, please subscribe, uh, leave a review. It really helps for uh, other. Uh, people to to find us uh, and listen to the podcast. And, of course, um, as always, please uh, come and join uh, the Defenders TV podcast community as we discuss everything Luke Cage on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Defenders TV podcast. We're over on Twitter at DefendersCast. And, of course, you can also leave feedback by uh, email or voicemail just, um, email us at feedback at defenders and leave a voicemail by going to our website, clicking on the right hand side of the, the web page, um, and leave a voicemail of up to 90 seconds. And the web address obviously is. DefendersTVPodcast.com That's right, yeah. It'd be uh, great to get a bit more feedback in. We've been getting some through our
2: Facebook group and over on Twitter as well, but uh, we want to hear your voices. and We want to share them on the podcast as well, so it'd be great to get a couple of voicemails in before the end of the season. Got a fair few episodes left, and we're, we're less than halfway through right now. So.
1: And now, actually, now that you know it is Derek's birthday, feel free as well to come in with 90 seconds of Happy Birthday, the song, or your version, or whatever version you want to sing of Happy Birthday. That would be amazing. That would be pretty cool. I'd love <laughs> to ed- edit that cool. all
0: together. That would be cool. <laughs>
1: yeah. How many different layers can we get on top of everyone singing Happy Birthday?
0: <laughs> that would be, that'd be quite cool, wouldn't it? Absolutely. Um, Any song about the slow creeping of time and age would <laughs> uh, obviously be very much uh, welcome. Appreciated. appreciate
1: it. By- the slow creeping of death <laughs> behind you. <laughs> no Requiem themes, please.
2: I'm sure that would be appreciated by my boys here. Thank you very much. <laughs> yes. Uh, one final point is that we do release our episodes every Tuesday and Friday. So, as I said, this is Friday the 21st of October. We will have our next episode out on the 25th of October, the day of release of Doctor Strange. Mm-hmm. We will have our next episode of Luke Cage And um, We will be just in planning at the moment as to when we're going to be recording our Doctor Strange review. But we will have one out Um, And, of course, my birthday. That's right. Well, I'm not 40. I'm very true. Very true. Uh, We
1: we may be celebrating
0: that on the next podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Just so any new listeners to the show, uh, in case you don't know already, we go through uh, each episode of Luke Cage and provide our five points, uh, good, bad or indifferent. At this moment in time, they have pretty much been all pretty good mm-hmm. Um we have defended yeah. each episode so far but we round out each discussion uh, with whether we defend the episode uh, or not mm-hmm. Um i generally give it a little mark derek doesn't chris doesn't but sometimes he does but i think with that Derek, uh, what are some of the production notes for this uh, episode of Luke Cage? Suckers need bodyguards. Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: this episode was directed by Sam Miller, a British director. Here, uh, he is well known for his episodes of Loofah, as they call it in London, uh, and This Life and The Bill as well. So, a long, a long time working director in the UK. Uh, the the episode, Bill,
0: the Bill, yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, he did four episodes of that. So, there's a little police procedural, but a UK police procedural, a dreadful police procedural um like this it, life amazing yes. absolutely loved it and there is a character called egg in this life who is at the moment residing in the walking dead as mm-hmm. officer rick grimes that's right that's right and obviously the show luther oh luther i yes. thought you were saying luther i thought you meant the thing that you did your back with no. in the bath no 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 you know a dead the dead bit of coral no or whatever this... it is
2: sponge maybe no no this is the one starring idris elba Yes. Yes, the awesome British TV show. Uh, So another great director on board for Luke Cage. And the episode was written by Nathan Lewis Jackson, uh, who is the playwright in residence in the Kansas City Reparatory Theatre. So much better known as a playwright. A lot of the scenes in this episode were kind of much more out of a play. They were kind of set up and had two characters talking Back and forth between them, uh, I felt there was definitely you could tell it was evident in his writing that uh, that he comes from a play background. Uh, he's also written three episodes for the TV show Resurrection, which I think is an interesting little factoid because he worked with Tara Butters and Michelle Fazekas, who our listeners will know as the showrunners or lead writers on Agent Carter. Yes. Yes, so a little connection there. Very likely this is how he got into the Marvel Marvel world and Marvel Universe and how he got that connection in there. So I thought that was quite cool. Uh, good job there, Nathan. Uh,
0: John, do you want to tell us what they gave us in this episode? Sure. With the Crispus Attucks incident covered up, Mariah Dillard prepares to reignite her election trail with an interview with the media. On the other side of Harlem, however, by the docks, her cousin Cornel Stokes is preparing to exchange guns from Scarf to buy off Domingo so he can purchase the Judas bullet to take Luke Cage down. However, Scarf attempts to leverage Stokes, but his plan backfires and he is left critically wounded on the streets of Harlem by Cottonmouth. He is hunted by Stokes and by the NYPD as his dirty past begins to creep up on him. On the run, Scarf seeks refuge at Pop's Barbershop and help from Luke Cage as he realises his enemy's enemy is his friend and his only chance at redemption. In his delirious state having bullets removed by Claire Temple, Scarf tells Cage of his involvement in the murder of Chico and points him to where he can find his notebook with incriminating evidence on Stokes and his police payroll. As Cage and Temple, with the deteriorating Scarf, race to one police plaza to turn over the evidence and get Scarf to surgery, they are ambushed by mercenaries hired by Stokes. As Misty Knight arrives after uncovering Lieutenant Perez's involvement with Stokes, her partner Raphael Scarf dies from his injuries. The fallout from Scarf's notebook is total. As Cottonmouth is arrested and his empire crumbles, his cousin Mariah's interview didn't go as planned, as her possible involvement in Stokes' actions is revealed and her reputation lies in ruins. So much going on in this episode. Mm. Like, it really was rammed full of effectively a, almost like a mid-season finale. Like, really tying up a lot of the storyline so mm-hmm. far in, in these first uh, five, six episodes. Yeah, absolutely. There's a, there's a
2: real feeling here that Luke has won. You know, he actually kind of says it at the end. He's like, well, my job here is done. I've got, I've got Cotton Method Prison. Um, That's sorted. I'm off, you know, and it's only with the encouragement of Claire Temple that he stays in Harlem, you know, Um, which I just think is a really interesting, interesting point that we're at. It's six episodes in, you know, you don't really get a win for the main characters in uh, in any of the Netflix shows um, so far. You haven't got a win for them halfway through the season.
0: And keeping, yeah, well, absolutely. And in keeping with the the theme of theatre, enter stage left, uh, Diamondback, I presume. And um, there was that moment where he's walking down the street with Claire Temple, um, and he's saying, yeah, you know, that's it. My job here is done. I've kind of cleaned up, uh, Cottonmouth from Harlem and all mm-hmm. this. And his, and his cousin, uh, Mariah, that, uh, I don't know. I was expecting, like a Molotov cocktail to be thrown out of a window and him to go into, into flames and, or Claire Temple to be shot just because Dillard earlier on in the episode says, well, if he can't be shot, they'll poison him, drown him or do something. So I just kind of wondered whether that kind of hit had been put out. So I was kind of expecting whilst it was all happy and, and, and funny that, you know, in comes Diamondback and, uh, and Shades and, and really just go to work on, um, on Luke Cage. But thankfully they didn't. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. that would have scared the bejesus out of <laughs> me. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but I was tensing myself for that to happen. Yeah. Yeah. It, d- it definitely
2: sets you up for that. Uh, Chris, do you want to kick us off with your first
1: point? Strangely enough, it's about that point mm-hmm. is that there was no cliffhanger. Yeah. Which just that and, and, and honestly, this has just got me so bemused almost in terms of this was a capstone. It's like, okay, six episodes, bang, there we go, we've cleaned off Cottonmouth, Mariah's reputation's ruined. Like but the what we're so used to in this series and every other series we've got is uh the 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 showrunners and the writers are building these binge watching experience type episodes. Mm-hmm. So they're always in the last six to ten seconds you get something. So it's like, oh okay I now I need to go literally, that thirty second countdown on Netflix to kick in the next one. Yeah. It was just really strange. Like and I'm not saying it was Don't well be strange. everything leads to strange. <laughs> Um, but I'm like, it's a bit weird for me because this is potentially the first one I went. Okay, if, if we if we were watching like this like a normal person and not recording after watch and record, watch and record. And I don't mean by normal person; I just meant binge watching. Yes, So like sitting down for like half a day over two days and just kind of going through them all. Mm-hmm. Then I think this would have been the point where I probably would have gone. Okay, I can take a break now. Yeah, and. Knock off. So I'm actually very curious to see. Uh, every now and again, Netflix do do these kind of like, this is where people stop binging, start binging, etc. The reports. So though. I'd yeah, I'd love to see some of those reports mm-hmm. and see potentially what the drop off was after this episode. It's because it did close. The art.
2: Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Now, I know, I know there is a comment and we'll probably talk about it. We might talk about it a little bit later on. There is a comment made that Stokes isn't actually going to go down for this, that he is going to be freed and not going to be prosecuted because of the higher ups within the police force. So, um, so that is kind of saying this isn't the end. There is more story to tell, which is, which is grand. But I think you're right. This could have been a point where you have six episode series like we have over in the UK and Ireland uh, for our shows. And they could have come back yeah. next season with something, with something brand new. And you're right. If you're binge watching that, means Means, oh, Grant, I can take a break, and I, c- I can actually eat food, and I can come back tomorrow to this show. <laughs> and yeah, I was mentioning it actually. I was talking about this earlier on to John uh, before we started recording about something like Jessica Jones was entirely built and Daredevil as well. Actually, when we talked about that Daredevil season two, particularly, were both built on that last ten seconds of an episode and why you'd want to push that button for the next. Uh, for the next show, which was really difficult to cover, as uh, when we were podcasting about it, because you remember <laughs> we were literally turning off, running up, recording, running back down, watching the next episode. Whereas I don't feel that impetus with Luke Cage, and there's nothing wrong with that. I generally, obviously, most of the shows that we watch aren't on Netflix, so you have to wait a week between episodes. So we're kind of more built for that way of watching.
0: Yeah, no, it's really interesting because there's definitely something less urgent uh, with uh, Luke Cage now, I- and I absolutely have no problem with that i think in the first podcast i was kind of saying you know it's it's a gradual style of of, of storytelling um but it's certainly one of those things where i don't get that sense of urgent momentum like you got in daredevil particularly in daredevil which is so frenetic Mm. and, and quite uh so dynamic in that sense and in some ways it, it, it reflects the coolness of Luke Cage. He isn't a man who will be rushed and he will <laughs> um, do these things in his own way and at his own pace. And I feel it reflects that kind of uh, characteristic of who Luke Cage is. Mm. Um, it truly really does define it as a very different show from the other ones that we've seen.
2: You know, it's another another element that is, makes it very different from the other Netflix Spiral shows.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I mean, certainly, yeah, this to me was very much um had the feel of of a mid-season yeah. uh finale of of some type um but yeah certainly it looks as though uh, what was it because of what happened with Wilson Fisk and the corruption throughout the the police force from um, his exposure and his police payroll that to have another one of these events and I like that kind of connection between yeah. these shows and to, you know to have another big sort of uh, expose of this type on the police force again is potentially damaging and a bit like the Crispus Atticus incident that it will get covered up there There's a feeling that that is going to happen here. Um, Either that or it will be, yeah, as I say, um, is this when we get to see Diamondback Mm -hmm. uh, come out of the shadows? Um, You know, because I think this leads me on to my first point, which is um, shades or the lack of shades. He was absolutely conspicuous by his absence mm-hmm. here in this show. And we even get a, a reference from, is it Zip? I think, yeah. um, who, yeah. who says, um, where is shades to Cottonmouth? You know, I'll step up and do it. And, you know, we get a lovely little sly back, uh, from Cottonmouth. He says, well, the last time you did that, you know, it really yeah. didn't work out. Uh huh. So. This to me, this absence of shades, um, in the same way as with the absence of Diamondback so far, in the same way as we've had the absence of Wilson Fisk in Daredevil season one, tells you so much and really adds to the storyline that this absence. I, I, I thought it was really good. You know, he has gone to ground. Mm. He, you know, the last episode we, he, he's warning Cottonmouth of the problems of going after Luke Cage yeah. and that he is damaging himself and he's becoming damaged goods. And here we have him effectively mess up again with regards to Scarf as yeah. well. Um, and, you know, Shades isn't there to have his back. He wasn't there to try and tell him not to shoot Scarf, um, you know, in, in that exchange. Yeah. So where is he? Why is he not there? Um is it kind of now just leave this guy to the sharks kind of thing? Is it that kind of cut the man loose? Right, uh, maybe. He's become an absolute uh, liability, which, again, as I say, is evidenced by him shooting a cop and not finishing him off. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing I
2: remember as well is that Shades also now knows who Luke Cage is, the only man in, in Harlem that does. He knows he's Carl Lucas. He's probably bringing that information back to Diamondback. Uh, he's also shared the knowledge about, about the Judas Bullet, which is the thing that could possibly kill, uh, Luke Cage. So he may just be going back to Diamondback going, actually, I know this guy. I know what he, what he's capable of and he needs to be taken out kind of thing.
0: Absolutely. And actually you saying that. Again, it comes back to that final scene where he's walking with Claire Temple and you're like going, yeah, is the Judas bullet going to come from one of the rooftops? Yeah. Because that's where Shades, he's basically basically going, we don't need Cottonmouth to take him out. Diamondback can take him out and I'm the one to fire the bullet. Why? Like, you know, yeah. do, do you need that convoluted way of trying to kill Luke Cage? No. Diamondback can do it if he so wishes. Absolutely. Or someone with a very good shot. Like, who
2: would mm. hit the bullseye, perhaps. Well, perhaps. Do you think we're going to see bullseye? I yes. think we're going to see bullseye in potentially season three of Daredevil. But I think it'll be a really nice setup to have a guy taking a shot. That's the setup for bullseye. Yeah. And but, then it just bounces off him. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, And lands on Claire, unfortunately. But hey, we never know. We never know.
1: I, I like the fact they called it out because I, I, I was, up until that point, kind of going, Where's shades. Yeah. As John said, the absence screamed louder than the presence kind of. And I think it's probably the best way. Yeah. Because now I'm going to combine that part from my, my first point in that like they've set this capstone, like they've literally, that is the six episode arc. Mm-hmm. And they've kind of gone, okay, so here's your first run. Now your second run is going to be that who it is. So it's shades, it's diamond back, black Mariah. Like it's now they've done all the backstory, the origin, yeah, and I think that's the interesting part in terms of we've met, we're done with the origin. Everyone understands what he can do, what he can't do, what his powers are, what his powers aren't, what the setup in Harlem is like. Mm-hmm. Everyone's introduced. It. If you're at this point, you're you're in kind of the acceptance. Would I, if I was Gio Coker, have said it without a cliffhanger? No, but like it would have been so easy. To just have, like, Shades sitting there in a car watching them.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: That would have kicked it over. Yeah. I think the reason for his absence will be called out. Absolutely. I think, like you said, is he going back to Diamondback to report back? He knows who Luke Cage is, a.k.a. Carl Lucas. And he's like, oh, okay, maybe we don't know. Carl Lucas could have a brother, a sister, a mother. Uh And Shades is like, okay, I know where he's from. I'm going to go back and get him or get his family, Mm -hmm. and then bring them up, and then I'm holding hostage. Because and then, I believe there was just some forewarning or uh, kind of premonition in terms of what Mariah Dillard said to Cottonmouth in that, drown him, choke him, like, he doesn't have gills. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, well, like, they are setting this up.
2: And... They're also answering your question, Chris. What do you do with a man that's bulletproof? Yeah, how do you kill him? Exactly. I loved this idea that it's Mariah that comes up with all the ways of killing him. Yeah. Um, so she comes, simple. She comes up with, poison him. If you can't shoot him, poison yeah. him. Why are you still using guns against him? I know you like guns, but why are you still using <laughs> yeah, guns? Yeah. You can drain him. You can find the person he loves and you can squeeze. Squeeze on that until you've got the man in, your pa- in the palm of your hand. Showing again how villainous she is. You know, she yeah. is looking for her in to destroy Luke Cage. So yeah, they're answering your question, Chris, once again.
1: Yeah, totally. And the surprising thing is I didn't think of any of those pride points. <laughs> I was like, Yeah, like just stick him in a, like one of those magician vats of water yeah. and just like close the top. You're like, Yeah.
2: That'd work. Oh, That'd yeah, work. Yeah, that would
1: you, work. See,
0: you see, Chris, you are more of a cotton mate than a than a black Mariah then.
1: Yeah, it's unfortunate. But
0: it's, it, it's just a great way of doing it because actually everything she says is so simple. Mm-hmm. Drowning, setting him on fire, you know, and um, poison, all of these things. It's absolutely approaching the problem from a, from a completely different angle. It's the females, the woman's perspective on this, on this problem in that all all the boys want to do is fire their guns, mm-hmm. hold it out in a really cool way, and just blast and yeah. blast and blast. And if those don't work, get bigger uh, guns. And, and, and if here those don't work, have, even bigger guns. Here we have the the new perspective, the mm-hmm. different perspective, the, the correct perspective, which is, um, well, don't use guns, as you say. It's just so good. And I love it when they introduce this kind of thing yeah. um, to shows because it it pulls you out of your own um sort of obsession with the fact that you know he's been talked of as the bulletproof man mm-hmm. and the gun is king in 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 politics or whatever of the US and you just keep thinking of the gun and here steps up um Mariah Dillard and says well yeah drown him poison him yeah. set him on fire get to the people he's he's close to mm-hmm. uh, squeeze him like like so good So good. Definitely. Definitely. I'm going to take a little
2: left turn here on my next point. Uh, Well, it is your birthday, so of course you can. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I just want to talk about the intro to this episode because I loved it. It's our second connection to Jessica Jones. Uh, what a cool little way of, of having a connection there. We have Trish Talks with, uh, with Rachel Taylor uh, playing Trish again uh, on the radio talking to the residents of Harlem all about what Luke Cage means to them. Uh, some really interesting little little discussions there. I love her point that she makes that people who haven't met Luke Cage have a very different opinion of him than people who have have met him. Uh, The people who haven't met him are making up their minds and jump into conclusions. The people who have met him, the people of Harlem, i.e. they're all uh, they all know his heart's in the right place and they all know that he's there to protect them and help them out and i love that she calls out the thank you to him on behalf of on behalf of herself she says i thank you for doing what you're doing to help the people and and then says i call him rather than the police in future uh, a nice little touch there, seeing uh seeing another connection back to uh back to jessica jones it was quite cool because she knows luke cage she's met him so um so i think that's quite a quite a, quite a nice little touch
0: definitely i i really uh enjoyed this uh opening as well it's one of my points um with the trish talk it's a it's a nice little montage and i, I think um it's also a, a, a re-affirmation of similar conversations that have been held in daredevil um and jessica jones as well Um, you know this notion of Vigilantism versus the cops' job and, and allowing them to do their their work, mm-hmm. um, but it, it's done in a way, you know, with the backdrop of Luke Cage jogging through Harlem with Trish talk on the radio. It really feels um, like a, a great way um, of, of doing it, and I love one of the, the the I think it's the lady's phrase, you know, he's turning Harlem upside down. Who knows what's going to fall out? Yeah, so a, a real nice little um, way of of, um, expressing sort of the, the disruption that Luke Cage is causing in, in Harlem. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, maybe it's ultimately that Diamondback falls out because he's got to step up to, uh, the void, uh, of, that's been left by Cottonmouth. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's increasingly now Cottonmouth's his front, ultimately, yeah. uh, within Harlem um and uh, yeah there's just such a good little uh, montage i yeah. think
2: and i think it it leads in, leads really well into the conversation between luke and bobby uh, later on in the episode where bobby's kind of going well you know now everybody knows who you are why don't you go and, why don't you wear a mask if you want to protect your identity uh, or why don't you go and play for play for the giants if you want to get famous you know hey. uh, and luke's completely shunning that and says uh, no i don't want that type of fame and then bobby obviously makes the other little MCU suggestion there or the little Marvel Comics suggestion there by saying, Why don't you just why don't you just say I can sell, I've got super va- superpowers for sale, uh, I could be a hero for hire. So another suggestion to Luke that he should form the Heroes for Hire, which is quite cool.
1: Yeah, very cool. I ain't a hero, pay me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the one. That's the one. And actually strangely that was one of my points too. Um the MCU Netflix universe is expanding. Mm-hmm. It is building on so well done. It's just, I, I, I'm really enjoying this. And to date, Joe Coker and the Marvel Netflix, Marvel Luke Cage team have done a great job of folding the events of the large MCU and other Netflix shows kind of into one, mm-hmm. uh, showing that I think this episode potentially underlines it the most. So we have Trish Walker, Patsy Walker, and on her show, Trish Talk. And I completely forgot that she had this huge, amazing radio show that was, like, making her famous in New York. And right. I'm like, yeah, of course, she would be talking about it. Of course. She knows the guy. And I was like, oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. I, I think also the um, parallels between Cottonmouth and Wilson Fisk proving how difficult it is and calling that out and especially kind of going we've already had the scandal with Wilson Fisk. We can't afford another. Like, yeah. that's just... It's really good world building. It's it's just something I wasn't expecting. Yeah, And it's showing how... Okay, yes, each standalone series is good and great and can stand alone. Mm-hmm. But they enrich each other so much more. By pulling these together and showing, okay, these are street-level heroes. They're going to interact. You're going to have crossover, even if it's not a direct cameo crossover, Mm -hmm. like Christian Ritter coming into the scene. Yeah. Herself. Having just Patsy Walker do the the voiceover Mm -hmm. and that talk show. Having, yes, acknowledging the stuff that's happened with Fisk. Yeah. Already twice. Yeah. once anyway, and saying all this, because we know he's going to come back and make Daredevil's life a hell.
2: Or, or he's going to meet Meth in prison. One or the, one or ooh, the other. Uh, but yeah, I do like that they've also called out, uh, Je- Jessica Jones twice in the show as well. Without naming her, they've called her out as the ex-girlfriend. They've called her out as the rebound girl, uh, on the show yeah. twice already, you know. Yeah. Uh, so again, it is obviously talking about its history, but it's stuff you don't need to actually have seen if you haven't watched Jessica-, Jessica Jones, you know. I'd still highly recommend going to see, going to watch Jessica Jones and listen to our podcast about it. Uh, but, um, but you don't need to have seen it. It's just nice references and nice detailing to Bring these characters in, so they're doing a really good job of, um, as you say, rolling in these rolling in these shows where it feels natural. It's not like yeah, uh, it's not like he's walking down the street and uh, and Daredevil's beating up some hand goons <laughs> uh, with Elektra over on the right. You know,
1: that would um, be amazing. Which is kind of what, and then he just looks. Nods and keeps walking. Exactly. Like, I'd say if he goes to a rooftop, you
2: know, like, Luke Cage is the street level hero. Daredevil is the rooftops hero, right? He's the the one that takes care of everything above, uh, above street level, right? (laughs) And then the Avengers take care of the skies.
1: Hovers. No, that's Jessica Jones. She flies. I'm sticking with this, people. She flies. She
2: jumps.
0: Anyway. John, do you want to give us your next point? Yeah. Um, it's the unlikely bedfellows of Luke Cage and Raphael Scarf. Mm. Um Ooh. I absolutely loved this turn uh within the show. Uh this involvement of Scarf with Luke Cage. However uncomfortable, however much it was um a a convenient thing, you know, it, it allowed Luke to pursue his goals. It challenged his restraint about um whether he would kill someone or, yeah. or, or not, um, it also exposed more of raphael 's storyline with regards to his 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 son mm-hmm. um who had died as a result of getting into um his his dad 's uh, police gun yeah. um and, and shooting himself so really tragic. And also just the fact that even though he was on the payroll of Cottonmouth, even though he was a dirty cop, I really enjoyed the fact that Misty Knight's connection to him, yes, she was going to bring him in if he had survived. You could tell that. But she appreciated that um when a whole lot of other people on the force didn't bring her into the fold of the detectives after being... um sort of promoted from patrol mm-hmm. you know she still had that loyalty to him i thought that was a really interesting term because i do think that in in, in, a, in a lot of shows it would be kind of like oh shock horror um i can't possibly uh, imagine why you would have done that but she yeah. she there was a sympathetic aspect to how she treated him even though ultimately if he had survived and um, you know, she was going to turn him in, and and I loved the fact that you know, as she cuffs Cottonmouth as well, just the look on her face of anger. It, it, you can see that she's blaming Cottonmouth mm-hmm. for, in a sense, making Raphael dirty yeah and yeah. um, it's like she's putting that sort of blame onto onto him really and um, but i i really thought this was a fantastic just turn in the story that i wasn't expecting i didn't s- see this coming and i really enjoyed it i thought it added a completely different dimension to to what had happened so far and you know there was a redemptive quality to it for scarf yeah, yeah. he's still dirty he's still a bent and crooked cop but you could see his motivation. You could see that actually he was trying to redeem himself with the notebook. Mm. Uh, he ultimately came comes clean about Chico. Um, and, you know, he, he recognizes, yes, I'm a bad person, but I can take down an even worse person, and that is Cottonmouth. Uh, but, I mean, ultimately, yeah. he, he dies from the injuries uh, by uh, from Cottonmouth. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. For me, this actually was one of my points. I feel like we're going to have a lot of overlap on this one. Mm-hmm. I did not like this.
0: Really?
2: <laughs>
1: I'm sorry guys. I'm, I'm, this is, this is me and my old trope stuff. Like it was, as soon as he got shot, I was like, he's dead. He's not going to make it alive in this right. episode. Yeah. Yeah. Like it was kind of, it was. They literally needed to have a, a, a flashing neon sign when he was lying up against the car going, dead man walking, gonna try and redeem himself and no. Right. Because it was just like, okay, I know what they were trying to do. They were trying to, they were trying to flesh him out a bit further. We don't know mo- that much about Scarf. Absolutely. Up to this point. And it was, they did it the wrong way. Mm-hmm. They, they kind of kept him as a very, too, de- 2.5 dimensional character in this bu- In this, I'm not saying he's full 3D, he was just like 2.5, like he wasn't that's not full possible. 2D or 2.5. Yeah, he's kind of like you can look at him just slightly at an angle. You have um, you have
2: blown the scientist's mind, Chris.
1: I know they're like, oh, oh um, this one beside me, he's, that's awesome. <laughs> uh, he's actually holding on to his head. No, he's all we knew about Scarf up to this point was he was Misty's. Uh, he was Misty's partner, corrupt, corrupt partner, yeah. <laughs> and then he was corrupt. Uh-huh. And then he he had a bit of a he had a bit of a banter back and forth. We didn't they didn't flesh him out. So they tried to go. Oh my god, we want you to feel that he's gonna be a good guy. Hmm. So it was like we want you to kind of somewhat have empathy for him. And when he was trying to be good at the end. But So, okay, we're going to tell you that his son accidentally killed himself with Scarf's gun. Yeah. But it's too horrible little too story. late. Oh, obviously, well, sorry. Horrible story, excuse me. I shouldn't say. No, yeah. That wasn't. It was just they brought that element in Too late.
2: Absolutely. It's the walking dead effect. This is what they do on the walking dead. Every time they kill off a character, they give them an episode where they get uh, a lot of reveals about the character where you go, that person's a nice. Oh, okay. I guess we're not going to need to care about that anymore. Um, I have to say it did. It, it, it got me because I, that's what I, that's what happens to me when I watch TV shows. Once they give me some good detail on a character, I go, you know what? Maybe he's not all bad. Maybe he's just taking a bit of money, uh, to take care of himself. Someone's going to take it. Might as well be him is kind of the attitude. Um, But I like that he redeemed himself. I like that we did have that moment with him... And Misty's arms, uh, at the end of the episode where she's now lost, you know, in a very different way, Chris. She's kind of gotten to that point where she's now lost her only connection to the police department within this episode because uh, everybody else mistrusts her because of her relationship with, with Scarf. He's now gone. So, um, so I'm wondering if that possibly is another reason why she's being pushed away. She also has the worst look in the world. The person she's partnered up with to find Raphael Scarf. Is the other bent cop in the in the uh, in the precinct? So uh, yeah. that that I was like, um, maybe you should
0: maybe you should look into not having a partner for a while. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I'm only going to disagree with Chris here. I like, mm. and
1: no, go ahead. This, no that's the it, point it, of this. No, podcast. I know, I know. <laughs> it's it's,
0: but it's like I think just because The Walking Dead does something like that, um. Maybe too often doesn't mean to say that it invalidates it from other oh of course not. Uh, shows to use it say once it was it was redeeming him, but not necessarily making him good True. um like he 's still a bad person he 's still corrupt and he 's still dirty, and he still kills someone but he, he i 'm not coming out of that thinking, oh, he was a good guy, um I think his storyline was vicariously lived through misty night to an mm-hmm. extent as his partner because she was someone who was a upstanding loyal cop to find out that then you know she is unaware because normally it would be that they're both in on it yeah yeah and yeah. um, give then the there's that conflict and then she's able to at least look beyond the bad things that he's done and um, so I, I I like that and I, I think it worked doing it in this way for Raphael because he isn't a big character in this show. Mm-hmm. He's an important one at crucial moments in time, but he's not, for example, Cottonmouth. Yeah. He's not Mariah Dillard. He's not one of. He's not Misty Knight, and um, he is her partner. So um he 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 has a really important function. I don't think his character needed all this explaining beforehand. Yeah, and um, for it to uh, not be explained here, I thought it it helped. The story. Whereas I think with other characters in this episode, a bit more information sprinkled across the first five episodes mm. would have helped. Yeah. Um I'm talking in particular about Mariah Dillard's storyline in this. Yeah, no, I mean, look, each to their own. Yeah. Um I just I felt it was really good.
1: So I may have kind of came across wrong. They weren't trying to say that he was a good character, they just wanted to give you some empathy for who he is, yes. so why he turned bad. Like, they don't want to say, okay, he's not a good character. I agree with you on that. It's just, they were like, well, yeah, he, he lost his son. Feel some remorse for him. Okay, no, okay, fine, he's dead. Okay, let's, let's go. Mo- <laughs> you make let's it sound on. so brutal. That is but it was. It was just, if they had a flesh to out over episodes four and five, mm. Giving him a bit more character, giving him a bit more scene. Now they may have and this could be an editing process. They maybe someone just felt it, it what didn't suit four and five. But it was like Yeah, it was just like he got shot and I was like, Well he's a he's a remedi- he's Chico. But it's not He's a, a plot yeah. device. He is a plot device for Misty, and I think you're right. Yeah.
0: And it's not about him. It's not about him. It's about Misty Knight recounting the fact of that aspect of his life that she already knows, yeah. so that we can understand why when he's dying and that she's really upset. And it's the same with the conversation in the car with Perez about, you know, he's the one that gave me the chance, that taught me the ropes. You didn't need to know that in the other episodes, yeah. but it yeah. informs the audience why Misty Knight, despite having a crooked dirty cop dying in front of him because of his own actions is still sad about it Mm -hmm. i think
1: yeah okay let's agree to disagree slightly i'm i did he got shot i knew he was dead not in a bad way. So long, good riddance. You, you, you've done your, you've done what you needed to do. Thank you so much. I'm sorry we, we, that we've we just...
2: lost Rafael, though, To be honest, and and I really? don't really. I, I think I might talk about it in one of my points later on, but I don't really see why he wasn't dead at the beginning of the episode. Um, I can't. I couldn't understand why Stokes didn't kill him at the start, but I think I might go into that now. If that's well, right. that, yeah,
1: absolutely. That for that for, yeah. We'll keep, let's keep this going. Yeah,
2: let me jump into that one. So, so Cornell, start. Once again, we see Cottonmouth's aggression and anger coming out—something that he's not in control of. So we have, and uh, we saw Scarf take his ammo or take his weapons uh, in the last episode, and now he's blackmailing them. So Stokes gets them back. And then Stokes takes his gun and shoots him three times. Yeah, he's on the other side of a car and and shouts over at Scarf, going, "The next time I find you, you're dead." And I'm kind of going. But you've got bullets in that gun right there? Why aren't you killing him? Um so for me, it seems like Stokes has realized his mistakes at that his mistake at that moment, uh once again, letting his anger get the better of him and it's only when Mariah speaks to him and says, "If you let that guy live, everything we worked for is done." That's the point that Stokes changes and goes, "Okay, I'm gonna have to go back out get my guys take care of this cop because now everything's gonna fall apart. I think he kind of he realizes his mistake in shooting scarf at the beginning. And then later on, kind of goes, Well, I have to go, have to follow through with this mistake, or else it's going to be a much bigger, uh, much bigger deal for me, and it will ruin everything about me.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a rookie mistake. Um, schoolboy error. He's made many of them there. But I, I, I mm, think, yeah. I think that's where I can just about understand it is that there's the guy on the other side of the dock that's obviously seen this go down. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe Cottonmouth panics and is, well, is he going to call the cops? Am I going to get caught? So, and maybe just expect Raphael to bleed out or something like that sooner than he did. Yeah, it, it, it's a weird one. And I mean, I suppose just because of his behavior in previous, uh, in, in the previous couple of episodes where, you know, Shades is trying to counsel him into a more, uh, like reasonable mm. way of doing things or, or things that are, just won't damage him, then, I, I think it's, you know, Cottonmouth is slightly, um, naive. He's slightly unhinged. He, he's doing, you know, it was like, it was like I was saying on the, on, uh, the last podcast. It's like he's doing this purely for the money, purely for the rep, but doesn't really have a, a full grasp on the kind of world that he's in. Yeah. To some extent. Yeah. Um, I know that sounds a bit weird. And so I could just kind of understand maybe why he left. But at the same time, to be a ruthless gang leader, you know, and the fact that you've been spotted anyway, surely you would just walk around the car and shoot him in the head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Even he must know that. So it was a bit. It was a bit odd. Um. In terms of why that that happened. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Uh, yeah. Look, I I understand, that I think this is me sticking up for him almost. We thought Cornell Stokes was going to be the 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 main body mm-hmm. coming into this, so the this is the showrunners and the showrunner I should say and the writers trying to pull the pull that character away, basically going actually he's not well, you thought he was if from episode one you thought he was this violent, amazing charismatic super he was Wilson Fisk two or mm-hmm. Luke Cage. He was Wilson Fisk LC. Right. But that's what we were led to believe. That's what they wanted to. And then actually, we're seeing that just with a small thread being pulled yeah. from his jacket, he's slowly unraveling. And that this was the, he thought he could get, it was another, it was another piece of evidence to go, he shot a cop. Mm hmm. And he thought he was that untouchable, That he thought he was bulletproof enough Absolutely. that he did not need to kill a cop. He could just shoot him and let him, like, kind of there.
2: Exactly. exactly. And
1: in broad daylight, when a guy is screaming at him, by the way. Yeah. Which was like... Egh.
2: Well, you can tell. It, it's just his anger. It's his aggression yeah. that just gets the better of him. He just goes like he did in the club uh, in episode 5. When he gets told what to do by one of his guys, shoots him in the head. That's, that's yep. his instant reaction is like, get this guy out of my way, shoot him, kill him. It's done. And that's what he wanted to do with Scarf.
1: Yeah. No, sorry. And a quick aside, completely that you just mentioned that scene and I just, uh, I rewatched it before watching this one. Uh huh. One of the guys sitting on the couch is wearing, uh, a Legend of Zelda, uh, Triforce t-shirt. So the geeks, the gaming nerds, the the true one of us is sitting as part of Stokes' gag. I was like, yes. He's a diehard NES player. Um, Back into your point. Mm -hmm. We talked about this kind of capstone. This is the end of Cornell Stokes. He's going to go to Seagate or he's going to go to the same prison as Fisk, as you said. Mm -hmm. This is chapter one of Luke Cage, season one is done. We're going into chapter two. All the promotional material Everything about this show was he's going to go up against Cottonmouth. Yeah. Cottonmouth's a bit player in this. Yes, we've got Diamondback and we've got Black Moriah. Yeah. These are the two who are going to be the big bad. And the reason they're doing this and showing it is, as you said, his anger takes over too quickly. Yeah. He's not a cool, calculating Absolutely. leader that we thought he was going to be.
2: Absolutely. And I'm going to jump in quickly again. Go. Because one of my other points each week, as we've been talking about the, talking about the episodes is the name of the episode and the gangster song that it's named after and what it means in the episode. And this is the perfect point to drop it in because the song this week is, uh, is Suckers Need Bodyguards. Obviously the episode name. Uh, this is probably my least favorite of all of the gangster songs. I'll be honest. Um, it's a very rep- repetitious, um, standard gangster rap song for me. It's very much, uh, this is why I'm great at my rapping and I'm so much better than you and you guys fall by the wayside kind of thing. But oh, okay. this, the central lyric for the song is fake MCs, they always act hard, but don't walk the streets without their bodyguards, right? So this is absolutely Cornell Stokes' story in this episode. It's basically saying he's a fake guy. He's saying he's the leader of a huge organization. Well, actually, he's not. He's not that good at, his, at, at what he does. Uh, he doesn't go after Luke Cage himself. He sends his guys out after Luke Cage, yeah? Yeah, um, So he is yeah, absolutely. totally fake here. Uh, he is the front for Mariah, as you say. Uh, he's told her that, that he's the leader. Turns out she probably is. Uh, she's probably going to be much more villainous. And obviously we've got Diamondback in the background, the real MC, if you want to use the same terminology. He's the real deal. We will see
0: much more of him in the coming episodes, I think. Yeah, definitely. So I, r- I really can't wait to see uh, Diamondback uh, come on down. Mm-hmm. Prices rise. Right. So that's the song for this week. Yeah. Uh Chris, what's your next point?
1: So I'm gonna continue this theme. I wanna talk about Alfrey Woodard. Mm-hmm. She's so good. She's been delivering a fantastic performance all season so far. And we've talked about it on thing. But this was her standout episode. Mm-hmm. Really just amazing. Like every other episode I felt we were just getting just scratching the surface. Mm-hmm. Like we were, they were showing that she is multifaceted and she's an angry person as well, mm-hmm. but she's also a big thinker. Even though she is this angry, very multifaceted kind of big thinking villain, because she is a villain in this show. Mm-hmm. She's trying to do what she considers right by heart. Absolutely. Same as Stokes or Cornell. He thought he was doing what he, th- he was doing the right thing by becoming the gang leader to a degree yeah. to do right by heart.
2: I think he just wanted to open up a cool club.
1: <laughs> yeah that's okay and it is a cool club, which it's like, I think it's, and i don 't like,
2: care if I pay for it with joke money and, and gun money i don 't really care about that. I just want to open a cool club for people to come and chill out on the Saturday evening and make all that money but, but,
1: <laughs> yeah but
0: it's really interesting as well that she reiterates the same thing that Shades had done in the previous uh episode, which is sell the club mm-hmm. you don't need the club, take the money from it, and I'm kind of there going, does that mean that has she had shades' ear? Has she the oh. one that's been passing the, trying to pass uh the advice to Cornell through shades? Mm. Um I mean whether that means I'm not saying she's Diamondback, um No, she's Black Mariah. She's Black Mariah. Mm. But what I mean is whether she's more connected in with Diamondback than actually Cottonmouth is. Yeah, um, she realizes that her cousin needs this rock next to him, which is shades to just offer him cool calm words of advice interesting like, like it, it, is it that sort of controlling because I thought it was really interesting that she she said exactly the same thing and i i totally with you, Chris, on this one um despite um our, our war-torn comments um <laughs> on uh, on Raphael, I am absolutely with you I thought this was a really fantastic. Episode for Mariah Dillard, her getting her comeuppance so public or, or on the the interview mm-hmm. and, and all this kind of thing, really really cool. Do you think um, that's also
2: the reason why she got so offended with uh, Luke calling her a spinster earlier on? That she is actually a bit more connected than we think with Diamondback. That she's be. potentially the hidden partner of Diamondback, or Diamondback is her hidden partner.
1: That could that in a way, yeah, yeah, maybe. Or is she just doesn't like the word spinster?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I like yeah, it. yeah, and I did like a response to to Luke just saying that she could take him any day. You know, that was pretty cool. Yeah.
0: yeah, absolutely. Like it was funny when Luke kind of came to to her house, and you know, he goes, "I'm shutting your cousin down and you as well." Mm. Um, I was like, "That's quite threatening." Like she's an elected official. Yeah. Um, Never a threat, John. Never a threat. Never. <laughs> no, I know, but still, like, I just, you know, mm, okay, you know. Fine line being trudged by, by Luke. Uh, not in terms of superhero, just in terms of like elected official. Yeah, yeah. Blah, blah, blah. You know, Ooh, well, okay. Um, up for election official. Yeah. I thought she was elected. Is she, is well, she, maybe not. Statistic. Yeah, so maybe not then. Okay. But, She's um, just I, I did think, um, you know, just that kind of unraveling of her in, in, in this episode where, mm. you know, she had talked previously about, you know, you're, you're losing money, but if I lose my name, that's me ruined. And you effectively get that right at the end. Her reputation is suddenly attached to this guy who's been arrested. Um, and I, I, I thought, yeah, I thought Mariah Dillard's whole kind of arc here was, was really good. Absolutely, and a huge shout out to the actress who plays the reporter uh, in
2: in these scenes with Mariah Diller. I have to say, I love her face when she's exposing the possible connections for Mariah and the uh, and the Stokes family. Um you can see her going, "And this is live on television," and you get yeah. nothing about <laughs> at all. And then the absolute glee on her face when she comes back in to get the quote from uh, Mariah, because she knows there's no possible way she could have heard that Stokes was arrested and she's running back in going, can we have a comment, Mariah? I've got <laughs> you over the ropes again. A brilliant moment. I really hope we get to see that reporter back in some, in some future episodes of The Defenders as well, because I think she's, she's now a really good. A really good character that we're going to see hopefully do some more investigation the, in future.
0: That's it. You get the, the boom of, so which Harlem do you represent? Mm-hmm. You know, um, the, and your cousin Cottonmouth, not only is he known in the community, but he's also known with crim, within criminal circles as well. And we get to see Mama Mabel here and, and we kind of get a, a little glimpse of that. Uh, relationship that they had where she calls her a dusty old bitch as the, the, <laughs> uh, the photo and, and the frame just kind of fall over. And it's like, she's all jittery. Um, I like the fact that in Dillard's interview, we get those connections back to Mama Mabel, but also then Pistol Pete, mm. um, is introduced yep. here as well, which is really cool. It, it's just a little quibble for me. And this is what I was referring to previously um, when Chris and I were talking about Raphael. I mm-hmm. wish the reporter had been in a few of the other episodes. This idea that, you know, there was suspicion within the media that maybe Mariah Dillard yeah. wasn't as clean cut as she wanted people to think she was. Mm-hmm. I wasn't entirely clear that the Christmas Attucks um, breaking, that that had kind of been... Uh, swept under the radar. And, and swept under... Huge. That's a huge um, thing, yeah. Just because, yeah, it's such a big event, mm. um, and and the money being sort of recovered by the police,
2: yeah, I think what could have worked here is the actual interview with Mariah at her home, where the reporter is pushing it with her and is thrown out of the house. I think that could have worked in episode five because Mariah wasn't in episode five at all. So, and there's nothing about the interview itself that was dependent on anything else that was going on in. In this episode, nothing happened within this episode, for the interview anyway. Uh, and then you could have had her rushing into the house at the end of episode six to, to get that question out to, to Mariah. You could still have that separated by an episode. It didn't all need to be in the same episode. And that would allow it to kind of breathe a little more, the weight and pressure on Mariah now that the media are starting to investigate her connections with Cottonmouth. Uh, just to have it a little bit longer, yeah, I see, I, I definitely see your point. But love those two scenes, though.
1: Yeah, For me... Her as a character is she's one of the most compelling characters Definitely. on the show. Yes, because she just wants to do right by her town, and in her head, it, that's by any means necessary. Mm-hmm. Like
0: Wilson Fisk,
1: exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's what makes me think she will become Black Maria by the end of this.
2: Like Wilson Fisk at the start of Daredevil season yeah. one. By the so, end of yeah, Daredevil ab- season one, absolutely. he was he was absolutely saying he was the one to destroy. He yeah. was the destroyer.
1: Destroy. But the thing is that she's, she's the hero of her own story. Mm -hmm. And people like the reporter now who are trying to pull back this curtain on the criminal background of her and her family are the villains. She'll fight, yeah, yeah, to her. Like they're the villains. And because of that, she'll fight tooth and nail Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to keep what's hers and get this town of Harlem Back on his feet, yeah. In the way she sees it, like so. it's all about her vision, and the trouble is now when you take a character like that, I'd say they box themselves slightly in a corner as a writing standard, not knowing where they're going. Like they probably have already mapped this out, but
2: well, it's all out there, so yeah.
1: <laughs> yes, but you know, from the way we're watching it
2: uh-huh.
1: now that her her reputation's ruined. Mm-hmm she only can go one way which is turn evil her, like she's ready to fight dirty to get what she wants mm-hmm. because they ruined that public facade of her so they've either created black Mariah as a character this fantastic or they've stumbled and as a, maybe they wrote themselves into a corner kind of too 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 easily because they can only go that way yeah. they can't just make her now well oh yeah, the, that that live interview that's not that forget about it. Like well, that's the only other way that's the only other way they could do it.
2: You say that, but in real life there's been about as many accusations against a possible future president of the US and he's still rolling. He's still rolling, you know, um, sure. she could still be rolling through these kind of scandals as she may be calling them. Oh, no, no, no. I had no connection with that. I was away for the weekend when that raid happened and I didn't know the money was there and all that kind of stuff. She still could be rolling right the way through all of these scandals uh, and pass bypass it all. Yet, obviously, as we know, behind the scenes still needs to take out Luke Cage, needs to take him down so that he doesn't come back and uh, an attacker. But yeah, that could be a way to go.
1: I hadn't thought about it like that.
2: There are there are many parallels in this show to some real life situations. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, look, I'll, I'll I'll concede that point. My my personal thing was that they were they were just they had done this to tear down that public piece so that she mm-hmm. becomes and then Cotton mounts out she just swoops in takes over his empire. She's sitting in the the Biggie's desk mm-hmm. in episode seven beginning of it and she's like right i'm done this is mine now she learned from mama mabel Mm -hmm. she knows how to do this she wanted the public side of thing and again you'd see actually that's perfect parallel to wilson fisk Mm -hmm. she started in the light and now by episode six she's like okay i'm done i'm just gonna what took wilson fisk 13 episodes they've done it in six with her character
2: very possible. Very to, possible. Yeah, I like it. Or,
1: tiny. as you said, she'll do the, the way Mr. Trump has and just kind of roll with the punches and keep going.
2: I didn't mention any names.
1: No, <laughs> no, of course not. Sorry. Sorry. I, if I was to draw any parallels in real life, one could presume <laughs> in a fantasy uh, alternate reality, we'll call it Earth 616. Mm. This may six, happen. six six six. <laughs> yeah.
0: It could be here at six six six. Actually, yes. You're right. You're, you're right. Yeah. John, do you want to give us your last point? Yeah, it's um, it's the reluctant hero talk uh, between Claire Temple and uh, Luke Cage in the diner. So um, awesome. I really, really like this. And, you know, she's kind of saying, why hide it? What are you going to do with it? You know, she's expecting him to do the Daredevil. Yeah. And, um, you Jessica. know, and the Jessica as well. And it, it's, it's this lovely aspect to Luke Cage's character that I really, really enjoy is that, you know, with great power, he doesn't necessarily see that he needs to have the great responsibility. Now he has done that for this case, but mm-hmm. by the end of it, it is, um, I'm done. This is it. That's yeah. Fantastic, you know. Um Why is it taking Spider-Man so long to do this all the time? Like, That's true. Um, you know, he's kind of like he's a
1: kid. He's he, a kid. He, he, Luke you know, Cage he's, is a grown-ass man. Uh-huh. Spider-Man he, is a teenager.
0: He's wiping his hands, kind of just going there. Done. Dust is, you know. Yeah. Um But I said what I was going to do, and I did it. What more do you want? <laughs> exactly. I, it, yeah. but, I, I really like the reluctance that he went into to tackle and confront Cottonmouth and and Mariah Dillard. And I love this reluctance again in the diner as like Claire Temple is as giddy as anything. She's Mm -hmm. like, I'm gone. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? It's like, I don't really want to do this. Mm -hmm. It's not what I've thought of. And, you know, ultimately his response is, I'm not talking about this anymore. Gets up, pays, you know, leaves a few dollars and and walks out. And I really like that. And it it kind of, a bit with, um, you know, with Bobby Fish's, uh, as we've talked about before, you know I ain't no hero um he He just doesn't want to confront the destiny that other people see in him, yeah, in a sense, and I really like that reluctance. I think it's really like different for these characters, yeah. I think like we find out in this
2: conversation that he thinks still he's a freak, you know he knows that, yeah. that other people like him, you know he's absolutely fully aware of Jessica Jones and her powers. He's fully aware of the Purple Man, um, Kilgrave, and his powers. He knows there are other powered people in the city, but he still thinks of himself as a freak. He wanted to go to Highland to hide out, and he's been kind of forced into this situation. Uh, and yeah, I absolutely love the conversation. What I also love about the conversation is how it starts, because uh, Luke is in exactly the same position that many men have been in, uh, probably many women as well, where somebody walks up to him in a cafe and goes, oh, hi, Luke, how are you? And he goes, Hi. <laughs> you? Oh yeah, I remember you, and then Bobby does that gallant thing that all best wingmen in the world do, which is Hi, my name's Bobby, and you are so we can get the name <laughs> for Luke, which I loved. I think that's an, a lovely little touch where it's like that like that person you slept with when you're a little bit drunk and can't remember what their name is, you know. Nice <laughs> nice little touch there. Uh, I also love that again we have Claire Temple calling out something because she is the person that just knows everything. Uh he asks her for coffee. Yeah? Nobody can resist Luke Cage's ask for coffee. And her response is, No, I saw you this morning, you didn't touch your coffee, not even one drop of it, you drank orange juice. I know this is just a come on. So uh so she did not she, fall for She that.
0: just says right out, You know I'm not sleeping with yep. you. <laughs> Absolutely. My-
1: what a way of delivering that line, by yeah. the way. With mm-hmm. just this cheeky grin. Rosario Dawson nailed it.
0: So good. So good. Why can't coffee just mean coffee? <laughs> 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 Never to Luke Cage. Never to Luke Cage.
1: And actually, yeah, so I'm going to kind of jump in here with my last point. In that, um get yeah, Claire and Luke sitting in a tree. <laughs> K-A-S-S-I-N-G.
2: But she's not sleeping with him.
1: But she'll kiss him. It's fine.
0: With me is tea,
1: Yeah, I don't know. I think... I think the arc, too, is... Just because it, it rhymed,
0: that's the reason I said it.
1: Because I actually... Originally, I did think this was a... Uh, Misty was the love interest... Me, too. ...of yeah. the episode, of the season, I should say. And I think potentially now is actually... No, it's Claire. Claire will be the love interest mm-hmm. because the banter between the two of them, right at the end, but also throughout, and especially the one scene where... They're in like the, the coffee shop together. Like, it's just, she is very much becoming the, the, the Marvels, the Netflix Marvel Cinematic Universe. She's the superhero whisperer.
2: Mm hmm. Pretty much. Like, yeah. yeah,
1: she is. She spends the time. Like, okay, to be fair, about half of this episode, she spends it reminding Luke of the good things he could do. With his powers. Mm. No, to be fair, he's been running around Harlem for the last five episodes fixing things. But she's like, "No, you could be doing so much more." Like the mention of powers was cool. Mm-hmm. She could potentially like, "Do you, what else could you do?" She, I have some ideas.
2: I love that. It felt like something out of Heroes. It's it's kind of like I've got a person right beside me that's got superpowers. Let's go test them. Let's go test yeah. them. You know? it's uh, it's that idea. This like little yippy puppy who's like, I've, I've, "You're exactly. right here. Yeah. I'm watching you." Please go and show me some more of your powers. I saw you punch through the side of a wall to get us, to get us out of something. And
1: you know? a van. And, and a van. van. Yeah, yeah, that was really
2: cool. I actually. love that. And Luke's just like, oh, but I want this to be over. I just yeah. want to go back into hiding. She's like, oh no, come on. I've got
0: some ideas. Let's go. Yeah. No, I mean, I she's, know. Know. she's almost echoing Pops's kind of call to arms mm-hmm. for him as well. And so, like, yeah, it's, it, it kind of makes it strange that, yeah, it, it, it caps off with him. Yeah, done now. Mm hmm. Yeah. Harlem sources. Um, I'll (laughs) move on and sort out Hell's Kitchen next, because like that Daredevil, he can't do it. Yeah.
1: Give him a break. (laughs) (laughs) But I think, uh, yeah, just, yeah, she's a fantastic character. And I think that potentially she is the love interest of this now. Mm -hmm. She's obviously calling out about the coffee. That's fine. Maybe it's going to be, she's a reluctant love interest.
0: Yeah, maybe they'll get a coffee another time or something like that. Maybe, maybe. Maybe. No,
1: I think I think the whole point is that they're going to get not not get a coffee in this one. They'll start testing their powers. He'll he'll get shirtless in the next episode. She'll swoon for a while. It'll be interesting. You know, but I think
2: you know, what I do love is that the, the ladies in this show are definitely much more, uh, much more well developed, I think, than we've seen in a lot of other shows. I'm not talking about the Marvel Netflix shows exclusively, but I like the fact that, you know, Misty did sleep with him the first time she met him and then immediately calls him out on his, on his way of trying to chat up women, basically. Yeah. The next time she meets him. I like the fact that Claire completely calls him on this, uh, on this coffee gambit that he uses uh, to get women in bed. Um, you know, I I like that touch. I know that he's a womanizer. He obviously has a higher strike rate than a than a uh, than a fail rate. Um but, you know, I like the people that are surrounding him call him out on it pretty quickly. So it's it's, it's a good writing technique for the show. So I'm I'm not sure whether we'll see much swooning from Claire Temple. She doesn't seem to be that kind of girl. But, um, I think he could convince her with a, with the with some proper conversation in future, maybe.
1: And, uh, and, and a angle grinder to the abs. Probably. He's going to do that. Come on. That'd be amazing. You're just like, (laughs) this is my standard pickup line.
2: (laughs) So that is the weirdest, weirdest pickup line. I still, as we said in Jessica Jones, I'm still not too sure whether that's a good pickup line or not. Hey, look what I can do, baby. Uh, Yeah.
1: Well, it was more the, the, the rebound. So as he's grinding the angle, the edge of the saw, I'm sure they're going to be sparking off, and I'm like, "Oh yeah, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna create sparks in the middle of a home, potentially (laughs) in Harlem, where before gentrification or anything like that, it wouldn't have been potentially old school masonry Mm -hmm. and wood, so flammable, maybe." It's like, "Oh god, I started a fire under the bed. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry." (laughs) So, so to wrap this last point, it's. I love Claire Temple. She's now the superhero whisperer. She is going to be the 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 heroes for hire, the defenders. She's gonna be their their rock. She's gonna mm-hmm. want to bind them and tell them you have you have the responsibility and you have the power very you much you need so. to do this.
2: Very much so. And who
1: knows she may get coffee with Luke. Derek, do you have a last point you'd like to close out this episode?
2: Uh not really a point, just a little note. It was just about one of the scenes in the episode. Um and i'm just not too sure what what changed from the trailer to the actual episode itself it's the scene where scarf and claire are climb, climbing out of uh out of the underground or in the the kind of basement area um and the car is coming towards them yeah oh what a scene i i don't know i don't know what happened it feels like there's been it feels like something changed from the uh from the trailer where we saw that scene of luke stopping the car the I don't know, the, the way the, the way the car comes towards her, it just seems like she's standing too long in the light <laughs> for the car to be moving. And then the fact that Luke was beating up four guys um, underground about four or five minutes behind yep. Scarf and uh, and her, and then he just appears in front of a car, which you can clearly tell was moulded into that shape by the production designers rather than yeah. actually moving towards him. So don't get me wrong, I totally understand this is a TV show, but I would have liked to see a moving car hit Luke Cage uh, you know, a couple of a couple of extra frames of an actual moving car yeah. rather than him just standing in the street being surrounded by a clearly crafted car around mm. around him. I just thought it, it didn't work um for that part of the scene. I love I love the concept of showing yes. an additional side of his powers, the fact that he can stop a car dead in its tracks, pretty cool. Um but I just don't think it worked. Just, there was something about it.
1: It was the scene. You remember the scene from Austin Powers where he's on the bulldozer and there's the goon. It's like, get out the, ah! and it just goes on <laughs> for like bob, bob. 20 no, seconds. Bob, bob. Okay. But it did. I, I kind of felt, it. she was like, why are you stopped? Like continue moving. Like she's like trying to hobble with him. If you hobble left or right, the van misses you, you're okay <laughs> it,
0: yeah, it's really weird. It felt less dynamic, yeah than the the teaser trailer where we first saw that, yeah that yeah. seemed to actually be more sort of fluid with what it was showing and and that's the thing I suddenly started to think. In the teaser, did you actually see the car hit him? I can't remember. Or is it just maybe it was the way it was edited? Yeah. It, it looked much more like that. Um, I felt there was something different between what we saw here compared to the teaser trailer. Yeah. And I felt the teaser trailer actually presented it better. It's because it's actually the teaser trailer tied it in with
2: the car chase throughout the, the streets of Harlem. It was kind of showing you that the black car that was chasing them through the streets of, of uh, Harlem was the same one that hit Luke. So it had that bit of dy- uh, dynamicness about the scene because it was it showed the car driving a little bit around the city before hitting. So, you know, even just two turns beforehand, it showed a little bit more dynamic as, uh, as it did in the final scene. But hey, look, sometimes we have a negative point overall. Uh, quite a few positive points in there about the episode. Any little notes about the episode that you guys picked up?
1: So, I actually have one, um, and I, I think we, we've kind of briefly touched on it. The scene with Captain and Misty at the very end. Mm mm-hmm. They tie it back to Kingpin so well. And that thread in, and I, I brought it into like my point about MCU Netflix, that kind of continuation. Mm-hmm. But it was just actually a great scene. Just yeah, very small, yeah. very good. Um, and they, the calling out a kind of like, you're on the wrong side of the glass. You're not an official. You're not one of the paper pushers. You are a street detective. Yeah. That's the trouble. Like, you investigate
2: not... what we tell you to investigate, basically. Exactly.
1: And now, the captain seemed like he was on her side as True. well.
2: True.
1: Um, It was just, it was like, this is the world we live in. And I think, again, it builds this great kind of piece where, okay, the New York cops are a kind of don't care anymore very much because they've got the Luke Cages and the Avengers and mm-hmm. like who are they in that world and two after a massive scandal of the Kingpin you tow the line and I think that's again great way of kind of they're just shifting okay this is where Misty's going. But the despair or the despondent look on Misty's face in terms yeah. of what the hell am I doing next?
2: Exactly, Chris. What the heck is she doing next?
0: Absolutely. Any other quick notes? Yeah, I loved um, when Luke jumps out of... scarf's apartment and you've got the the cracked concrete oh god yeah that was that was pretty sweet i really liked that um, yeah it really reminded me of the
2: hulk kind of yeah. moments yeah when he just smashes up the pavement yeah, yeah re- really good uh, definitely not a way to uh to not let people who it was that was in the apartment you're probably going to go oh that's that guy that can that can uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, beat the hell out of out of concrete that must have been in this apartment uh, uh very cool and um, one quick shout out for me in my notes uh for mama temple how cool is that character? I love that she's standing up to Luke Cage. She brings the, she brings the getaway oh, yeah. car for them. She says to him, I don't want to scratch on my car or my daughter.
0: Unfortunately, the car didn't work out, but, yeah. um, you know, it, it's, it's, insured, of, it's, it's insured
1: though. It's That's
0: it. I love that the end where Luke Cage goes, the car's in your daughter's safe and the car's insured or something like that i thought that was pretty cool but i love that she
2: stands up to this to this guy she knows how powerful he is but she's still going if you do anything to my daughter i will still come after you you know very (laughs) cool like uh, like mama temple like like the introduction of this character here good stuff
0: i think that overall that's the end of our points yeah absolutely uh with that uh derek do you defend this episode of luke cage it's my birthday so first you do good stuff Yes, I do defend this episode of, of the Cage. You know what? The pacing in this show
2: is so different from, uh, from Daredevil and Jessica Jones, which we spoke about earlier on in the episode. But I'm really liking how they kind of layer the, the episode together and allow it to breathe a bit more than we've seen in, in some of the other shows. Um. There's a great moment at the end that I didn't even talk about in our, in our points and notes, but the actual scene where Cotton Met gets arrested, where Mariah Dillard finds out about what's going on, um, with his, with his arrest. And as Chris mentioned, the Misty Night scene, all of those four or five scenes being played to, um, being played to, the, to people made the world go round by the stylistics. Uh, I thought that was a lovely ending to the show to kind of see where everybody is in the city and then finishing off with Luke yeah. and, uh, and, claire uh walking and setting up their future plan to, to what they're going to do it did feel like a big cap episode on the first six and could have kind of ended it here and i'm not too sure whether i would have been uh, i would have had a big problem with it i just want to see more of the show because i'm really enjoying the characters uh, that's what's keeping me interested to see episode seven but as i mentioned earlier you could have ended it here and had a gap of a couple of months and then come back with the other six episodes. So a very interesting episode and an interesting way of doing it, different to all the other shows, but definitely enjoy the episode. Chris, do you defend this episode of Luke Cage?
1: I do defend it. I have some points, obviously. So like, I had one negative... Aspect in terms of what I didn't like, and I all, I know. Yeah, for our listeners, John is kind of giggling in the corridor here. Um, he's just kind of like, "Oh, you always have one." I'm like, "No, I do, but I don't like tropes. Tropes. I don't like like no. There's more. They they blatantly signposted Scarf's death. Um, well, they did get that,
0: shot in the stomach, and that's yeah, pretty. It's a good, good shot, good man.
1: Yeah, it's a good side. Good, but better than a
0: little graze to the to the <laughs> shoulder, which he then bleeds out from.
1: But no, then he fell in gangrene, and it that's weird.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Episode thirteen, he dies in agony yeah. from gangrene.
1: It was just it, that I didn't enjoy. I didn't enjoy that they 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 tried to they tried to flesh him out as a character when you already know he was going to die, and it's just like we want to give you empathy. That being said. I still defend this because the banter and back and forth between Luke and Claire was amazing. Mm. The MCU Netflix world building, the, the street level heroes building the, 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 I can't even call them Easter eggs anymore because they're blatantly calling them out. It's Mm -hmm. like, this is the same universe, like get used to it. Um, Alfred Woodard's character as Mariah is, this is her standout episode. Yeah, she's now like, I'm probably ready to fight dirty. I am the villain of my own story. Well, no, she's still the hero, but in, she's the villain of this story, if you will. Um, that was brilliant. The odd joke, I ain't no hero pay me. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to leave it at that. But for me, this is, it's a good capstone to, Six episodes. Yeah. I'm pumped to find out what's to be discovered in episode seven.
2: Absolutely.
1: I, is it actually just black for like a couple more episodes? No <laughs> one's told us, and it's just like ah, gotcha. But I'm I, I'm interested to see what Act Two has. Don't worry, Chris.
2: I know for a fact there is something happening in the next episodes. Don't worry. <laughs>
1: hey. So, John, do you defend this episode of Luke Cage?
0: I do defend this episode of Luke Cage. I am going to give this um, four and a half cups of coffee out of five. (laughs) Um, Who can resist that coffee? Yeah, I mean, basically, I think at the end of this episode, we have Raphael Scoff dead, Cottonmouth is in cuffs. Uh, and, uh, Mariah Dillard is exposed and ruined. And Luke Cage is done. He thinks he's cleaned up Harlem. And I think the journey in which we get to that, uh, within this episode, um, I really enjoyed the, the, the unlikely bedfellows, as I say, of Scarf and Luke Cage. I love the fact that he's forced to help this person who he doesn't want to help. He understands that he can't kill people. You know, Claire Temple is the, their interaction and it is just really spot on the whole aspect of the reluctant hero as well Mm -hmm. and i think ultimately tying claire and luke together and misty knight i think now and through scarf and seeing that i thought was really good it's kind of what's to come as well ultimately i mean with with rafael dead you know his, his dirtiness as a cop comes back to, to haunt him. With Cottonmouth, that naivety bites him and, and it ruins him. And with, with Dillard, the certainty that she has in herself is absolutely undermined. Yeah. And I think even then with Luke Cage, the ultimate point on this is that his confidence that he's done everything and cleaned up i'm sure i'm absolutely certain is going to start to taste very bitter in his mouth when he realizes that this is just the tip of the iceberg absolutely. Um, I, I, and so I, that's why i give it such um i I, well, good, I give it my highest mark so far i just think it's a really great episode there, there's little negatives i suppose which i think could have been worse for the episode but i think that they're, they're just about justifiable why Cottonmouth didn't and um, finish scarf off mm. and i think that's because you know he's not actually a very good crime boss yeah. um ultimately yeah, exactly. uh, and we've seen that previously it's not coming f- uh, out of the blue and, and I, I do think then with with mariah dillard I loved her fall from grace. Absolutely. I just maybe wish we had seen a bit more of that media involvement. Um like we saw a bit in the first episode, I think where she was in the park with the kids, A, a bit more of that and a bit more of the suspicion that the media has of her and, her potential links with Cottonmouth. But ultimately, I thought this was a really good episode. Yeah. Um, and so absolutely defend this. Um, and I think then with that, we can move on to some feedback. Cool.
2: So our first piece of feedback comes in from Claire Payne over on our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash defenders TV podcast. She says, I've watched the first four episodes of Luke Cage. I find the character really interesting. My culture is great. I actually prefer this show to Jessica Jones, which I didn't find fault with. Episode four was great. Loved seeing Luke's origin and who cannot forget the terrible wig and facial hair. Uh, As always, guys, great podcast for episode one and two. Thanks very much, Claire. Uh, Guys, kind of comparison to Jessica Jones and um, Luke Cage. Actually, one of the pieces of feedback that came in about that particular point from Jeff Charles, he says, Jessica Jones is very good, but I'm not sure I could watch it again. I could watch Luke Cage again. So how's you feeling about the two shows at the moment? We've talked about it a little bit before, but Chris, what do you think?
1: i'm at this point very torn Mm -hmm. the pacing of luke cage probably means at this point i couldn't watch the six episodes again i could Mm -hmm. maybe in a year jessica jones though they're different beasts in my opinion i think that's the key thing yeah like one's very psychological one's very gritty realistic Mm -hmm. so i could probably actually i don't know i could probably watch the two of them again but i would need to be in that mood for that type of show
2: yeah, I have actually watched Jessica, a couple of the episodes of, of Jessica Jones again. Um, definitely, I haven't done a full binge of all 13 episodes, but I've watched most of it, actually. Uh, it really does, it's, it's a great joke and, and well worth watching again, actually.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think both of them are great for very different reasons. And I mean, the urgency and frenetic of jessica jones because you know it's it's all about a race against time to stop him from having more and more control you know this is much different um you know it's it's much more gradual it's him finding his own way of doing things apparently doing them really efficiently within six episodes so far yeah. <laughs> so like um like i i, I think um I could certainly go back and watch Jessica Jones again. Um and with Luke Cage, I think after this first run, I need a little bit of a break to let it digest. I I remember this with the wire. Mm-hmm. Wire I don't think is something that I could immediately have gone back and, and watched because it's a gradual build up and I think if you watch one episode, you do actually have to watch all of them. All of them. You Absolutely. can't yeah. I don't think you can dip in and out in quite the same way. Uh, with this show, maybe they like you can with Jessica Jones, yeah. and, and in fact even with Daredevil. But um, yeah, I definitely have some favorite
2: episodes of Jessica Jones that I'm able to watch a couple of times. Um I'm not sure yet with with Luke Cage. I think after. After watching through it, I think I might have a bit of a different opinion. But yeah, yeah, know.
0: And where we also got some feedback in from from Derek Whitfield again on our Facebook uh, group. He's like, "And you guys are absolutely killing it with your first two episode podcasts. Uh, your podcast game it is going really well." Very strong. Keep up the great work. So thank you so much for the feedback, uh, on that, Derek. It, it's really nice, um, to, to hear that just so that we know that we're, you know, we're, we're doing some, some good stuff, having some good discussions and, um, hopefully, uh, long may it continue, of course. Um, so thank you so much for that feedback, Derek. Um, uh, much appreciated.
1: 100%. Yes. and no, thank you so much. And I think as John said, it kind of, it makes us. It lets us know that we're doing the right thing, that we're actually talking. When It's not just three friends in a room having the banter. It's also what you guys are interested in. You like hearing us talk and ramble. To be fair, well, maybe less so the guys, but I like to ramble, and I ramble a lot. Right,
2: we have to stop you there, Chris. <laughs> okay, thank you. We got some feedback over on Twitter, uh, at DefendersCast over on Twitter, um from Asher Moss, uh, or Samford and Fam. He says, please explain what is racist or weird about standing against the gentrification of our black neighborhoods like Harlem. Uh, so this is in relation to comments that we made in our first episode about Mariah Dillard's um, position as to what she's trying to do within Harlem. And he goes on to say, it seems you don't get the difference between Cotton and Mariah. He is nefarious for greed. She is for a higher cause than just profit. Chris, can you take that one?
1: yeah so i'm going to take this to be actually honest the the terminology of gentrification has changed throughout the years it started very much as a positive in that you were trying to make a community better so not just actually you're bringing the community up in terms of building new better shops new services more facilities and that was great it now has turned to a more negative piece the bit Uh, I think I potentially was against in terms of Mariah's bit was nothing to do with a being a black community. Like it was nothing to do with that. It was the, there was an element of it's only for black people. Mm -hmm. And I'm very much a, I'm a huge proponent of diversification or uh, in terms of inclusion, everyone, everyone, so I don't care who you are, be you black, white, Chinese, Indian, like I, you are a person. You're, and there is no better or worse person. There is no male. A man is not better than a woman. A Uh, an Oxford educated person is no better than a person from MIT.
0: Definitely not. Oh, yes, they are. No, they're not.
1: It's like literally the whole, remember the whole, there used to be book smarts and street smarts. Uh They're still smart. There's no difference in between. So for me, it was very much the, the, the negativity that probably came out in terms of my, some of our topic was just it was the, Keeping something for one group of people mm-hmm. is wrong, in my opinion.
2: Absolutely. And I, th- and I think the bigger point here is that we definitely didn't make any comments about something about uh, standing up against gentrification being wrong in real life. We're making points about Mariah's yes, position sorry. in this TV show about what she's trying to do with gentrification, which is it's taking her neighborhood away from her. And there are lots of non-black faces moving into the neighborhood. And she wants to take the homes back off them to hand them out to people that she would have grown up with in the neighborhood. So that position on this TV show of that character, Yes. yes, it does send. Pretty uh, nefarious, and the fact that it's all being paid for by gun money, uh, which seems to have gotten kind of kind of lost in Mariah's head as we got to uh, to episode six here. She seems to want to get people to ignore that whole thing that she's being sponsored by gun money and by illegally gotten gains, uh, so that she can promote this concept in the city of Harlem that it will be turned back to the way it was when it was in the twenties. And um, that's the that's the thing we were really calling out. It's this character's way of doing things by ignoring all the illegal activity that she's doing to get there. Well, sorry, but it's still illegal love. Um, (laughs) And you're you're gonna have to you're gonna have to deal with that at some stage. And now she's been found out and this reporter has pulled her down in this episode. So um so I think, you know, it's 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 trying to work out when we're watching these these episodes of the show, what we're trying to work out is what position is this villain actually in? in the show. So where, do, what, where, what do they come from? What's their, what's the concept? What makes them a villain as opposed to somebody who is trying to re- redevelop a community and get people out of living in slums and, and those kind of things? Well, what yeah. changes it in this, in this show is that, well, she's being supported by her, her cousin who is killing people all around him and, and is, is promoting gun running. I so, think yeah. as
0: well, it's, I mean, I suppose, you know, we're looking at it an episode at a time. And at that moment in time, you're looking at that character within the context of that episode mm-hmm. and what's come before. And actually now, if we look at it in, in episode six, when, when the interviewer, uh, comes into her house and looks and goes, this is a, this is a pretty done, like amazing looking house and she's like going, uh, I've spent millions on it to, to renovate it and preserve the history. She's actually gentrifying it as well. And in fact, actually she is gentrifying the neighborhood of Harlem as well. And of course, the thing with gentrification is that uh, when it was first sold, it was this idea of bringing neighborhoods up preserving the history cleaning up the the streets in uh, you know people buying these houses and, and renovating them and really keeping um, the the area together i mean we, you know that happens has has happened in dublin it's yeah. happened in london it's one of the big um, criticisms of say notting hill and that whole area where now people who used to be who were who were born there can no longer buy there yeah. and i think um What's happened is that she is actually also... Raising the property prices and with gentrification, sure. the, the, the negative side of it that ultimately comes in is that it raises the property prices way above the means of the people who have maybe lived there all their lives or, or were born there and want to stay there. And they can no longer afford to stay in those areas. Mm-hmm. And so it has a displacement or it pushes people out. And that is absolutely the negative side of gentrification. Yeah. I think what we see in episode six is that Mariah Dillard is a part of that yeah, process exactly. by by spending this fantastic amount of money on, on making, I mean, the place look amazing, preserving its features and so on. So it, it, it's really interesting within the, the context of the show that stuff that she's against... Yeah. She is also a part of. Yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. And it, that's, I think that's the interesting thing.
2: Yeah. It's not, so thanks so much for that feedback, Asmos. It's uh, really good to hear from you. And, and thanks so much for listening to the episode. Uh, another piece of feedback we got from over on Twitter was from Paul Jones saying, good to have you back for Luke Cage. I'm currently on episode nine. Blimey things escalated. Is Cotton Met one of the best MCU villains? He says. Um, I said we're on only on episode five. So right now he's, uh, absolutely brilliant, loving his seething rage. And Paul says, Episode 5, Long Live the Chief, best opening of any Marvel Netflix show ever. Absolutely. We talked about it on episode 5 podcast, which Paul obviously hasn't heard because we haven't released it as we're recording episode 6. But anyway, uh, yeah, absolutely loved that opening to the episode. And is Cottonmouth one of the best uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe villains? Let's wait and see. I liked him. I absolutely love Mahershala Ali's performance as the character. He's absolutely top-notch. He's right up there with Vincent D'Onofrio as Kingpin, with uh David Tennant as Kilgrave is he a good villain not so much he's, he's already in prison he's so.
0: the best flawed marvel villain there you go um yeah. or the portrayal of a flawed marvel villain with regards to maybe not the best crime boss mm-hmm. and to our final piece of feedback
2: we got a piece of feedback in from Keith Walker over on our Facebook group Uh, as always when you join our Facebook group we will always welcome you uh, with a warm welcome Keith says thanks so much for the warm welcome guys not gonna lie I was a bit apprehensive about listening to a Luke Cage podcast that featured no person of colour but I'm really happy I gave you guys a listen I love how you explored the entomology of the n-word as well as understand the musical and book choices the coker put into the series you guys are top-notch and after searching feverishly for a good Luke Cage podcast I'm very fortunate to have found a great one instead keep up the great work guys the show means a lot especially to people of color and i appreciate you taking this podcast seriously
0: thank you so much keith absolutely i think um in, in all our podcasts like with jessica jones where you had a central female character and with any of the shows that we cover and in particular this one uh, you know we try and come at them from a fur a balanced way we talk about the good stuff we we talk about maybe the negative stuff but Mm -hmm. we don't necessarily say that that negative stuff is without basis Uh, and we we never linger on it too much i think to be just out and out critical for for the sake of being that we you know uh, we hope it's balanced and uh, uh, and provides you know some really good uh, discussion points for, for people to come back. So um, your comments are really appreciated yeah. and really want to thank you for um putting that time into writing that feedback for us. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah, no, thank you so much. I, I really appreciated this message because one of the things that we talked about offline before we started Luke Cage was this is a tough topic to discuss. Mm-hmm. And especially, we watched episode one and I was like, this is this is harder. Like the the that word had so much history and commentation and emotion baggage attached to one word. The, the everything about this show and uh, and we also had this a similar discussion about Jessica Jones when we were talking about the female leads and the strong mm-hmm. the strong female presence and the the themes of feminism and we're an inclusive bunch. We we also like taking as John said these episodes as they are given to us. And we like dissecting them and trying to think what the writers were thinking about. And I got very kind of emotional on this and like I kind of went, This is fantastic because this is what we want. We want mm-hmm. other people to understand that yeah, okay, if we're negative about one aspect, like some of like the odd time like gangstars music, I could take it or leave it, but then Long Live the Chief is an amazing song. Absolutely. And I'm like constantly attached to it now. And that's just yep. One small sliver of what makes this show great.
2: I feel. I always feel like stopping and just giving someone a salute uh, while yeah. I'm listening to that song. It's awesome. They have it's no like, idea what's going on. Because they can't hear what I'm listening to. But yeah.
1: And you'd be like, they're like, okay, that's that's interesting. This this meant a lot. Spe- I think to all of us in terms of we we're never sure. We we always want to be sure that we're fair. We're inclusive. We're not talking about something that we don't know. Um to mm-hmm. some degree, we are in terms of we have no understanding that could be of what it is to live in harlem i should say or in we also have no opinion or history or understanding of what it is to be bulletproof (laughs) but we still try and look at it in a knowledgeable intellectual way and this kind of makes it worthwhile yeah this made us happy
2: absolutely yeah yeah thanks so much for the feedback keith um you know at the end of the day we're covering these shows because we know how much work and how much uh, passion the people behind the scenes are putting into these shows. And what we like talking about is, is episodes of, of, of TV shows that we're into, you know? Um, Luke Cage stands up there alongside all the other shows that we've seen so far. We're watching it because we love comic book TV shows. Um, we've all seen other TV shows that we haven't liked so much, especially ones based on comic books. And we haven't covered those for podcasts. So, yeah. uh, so this is another yeah. one of the shows that is definitely adding to our knowledge. And the people behind it have put so much into it and so much knowledge of the community they're talking about, the area they're talking about. It's so much fun in at, at times to see, you know, this episode had a great scene of Luke jogging through Harlem. So you get to see a lot of the neighborhood and a lot of the area. That's that's really cool. I really enjoyed those types of things. So thanks so much for that feedback, Keith. If anybody does want to leave us any more feedback, obviously you can do that over at facebook.com slash groups slash Defenders TV podcast. I think that's about time to wrap us up for this
0: long episode guys absolutely i think with that birthday podcast in the bag i think it is to say thank you so much again for listening and we'll be with you next time
1: Whoop, whoop. thank you very much guys happy birthday derek
0: happy birthday to you whoop, whoop. thanks guys
2: we'll be back on tuesday the 25th with episode 7 manifest looking forward
0: to that one speak to you next time bye see you soon guys bye bye Cut, cut,